there's a boy in the girl's bathroom. It's been said before, is it? How do I sound? Do I sound too, too loud, too echoey? It's okay. I'm being sorted out. My, it's usually my wife that sorts me out, but I'm being sorted out. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for inviting the man from Cap. I felt like the man from Uncle early. <laughs> the man from Cap. And uh, it's such a joy and a privilege and a pleasure to be here with you. I'm here, obviously, with my wife, Marilyn. And uh, to our surprise last night, we were at a CAP function in Camberley, Surrey, Totherway. And um, we were there with somebody who lodged with us, who stayed with us for several years. And then uh, they left our home uh, uh, and uh, off they went on their journey of marriage. And uh, we were with this couple last night. It was great to see them. I call her my sort of second daughter. I've got one daughter and two sons. And um, she said, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, well, we've been invited down to Hearn Bay. I've never been there before, to a, a church down there. And we've been invited to speak about CAP. And um, she said, Hearn Bay? I said, yeah. She said, my mum and dad are in Hearn Bay. What church are you going to? I said, initially, I said, book. I can't remember, to be honest. I'm sorry. Um, but she said, is it called the Beacon? I said, yeah. She said, that's where my parents go. You'll see them tomorrow. And so David and Eileen, uh, it was great to see them there. And uh, in fact, uh, their daughter Hazel said, oh, it'll be such a surprise for them. I, was, I, I actually thought, hmm, I wonder if it'd be a good surprise or a bad surprise. But, no, but it's actually lovely to... Um, it's lovely to be with you here, and thank you very much to Steve and to John and to David for inviting us here and um, making us feel so welcome. Do you know when you feel at home, you just feel relaxed, don't you? And it's a wonderful thing that I just feel completely at home and relaxed. It's lovely to be with God's people, isn't it? To be in the house of God with people that love Jesus and give him glory, honour and praise. And I just was so thrilled where the liberty and the freedom that you have just to, just to worship the Lord and to speak out how you feel about God and to speak out loud in tongues and all these wonderful things. It's, it's, a, it's a great joy. It's very interesting... Um, uh, you prayed something earlier about, uh, it, I can't remember the word now, it was scary or something. And, um, do you know, I, I was praying one day, I was saying, Lord, take me away from the comfort zone. Take me away from the comfort zone, Lord. And uh, he actually managed to take me to the uncomfortable zone, which was not quite what I was looking for. It turned out to be very uncomfortable. So, a little bit about ourselves. Uh, Marilyn and I, we come from a church called United Life, and we're based in Sutton. Uh, but we, our meeting hall is just like yours. You go to our Sutton head office and you turn up and just like yours and nobody's there, just like yours. And uh, then you think, ah, oh, we, we've got to meet somewhere else, just like yours. And then you follow the map and you end up here. Or in our case, we end up in Yule. So um, we, have, we're, we have three children um, and they're all married. We have four grandchildren. Um, 
Uh, I, I am, I'm pretty unusual in the fact that um, I have three bosses, no, four bosses. I thought I had three, but I've now got four. Uh, boss number one, obviously, my wife. I have to defer to in all such. <laughs> <laughs> boss number two is my daughter, clearly, um, when she says to me, Dad, you're special. No, you, you, you are special, Dad, you know. Thanks very much. And then I've got um, boss number three. Her name is Julie, and she's French, and she's married to my eldest son, and she's our CAP Centre Manager in United Life Church in Sutton. Uh, she who must be obeyed. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, she wields power like no other French woman. It's like working for Joan of Arc, I tell you. <laughs> and, uh, and then I have another daughter-in-law, Sarah, and she was the lead worker with the children's work, and I used to do a little bit of children's work. And I remember saying to Marilyn one day, yep, somebody else I need to obey. And so I'm quite unique in that I have four ladies who are all my bosses, um, which is um, an interesting thing to deal with, quite honestly. Mental illness is a big problem. One in four of us will suffer from mental illness in our lives. Today, this is your Cap Sunday, and Cap Sundays this week and next week, over 500 churches will be coming together to celebrate their Cap Sundays. And mental health is a major, major issue in that. And uh, we really want to thank you that you, you're headlining this up. I have to confess, I didn't know that Mental Health Day was last Wednesday. Um, Kylie, did you see that? that uh, what she showed there? That was a lady who'd been rescued from uh, the depths of despair. And that actually is a poem that she wrote. So it's a beautiful poem, she wrote it, and actually the more I've heard it, the more I've got into it, and the more I've really enjoyed it. The depths of despair. Well, what, in our um, church back in United Life, we run a cap centre, we run a job club, and with the CAP Centre, we run a thing called a drop-in. And that's where people can come from all walks of life and just drop in and we feed them. Well, we had one particular lady and she came and um, she was receiving help from our debt coach. And uh, she was getting herself out of financial problems. And she came up into our drop-in, mainly to hand in her paperwork, and John, you'll know this, hand in her latest paperwork, get it photocopied, send it off to the centre. They then work out a budget and give her all kinds of help that they can. Um, but we've got very steep steps that lead up to our central meeting hall in the CAP office. And then we have a room, not smaller than this, but we can feed people in that room and uh, we have a time of fellowship where everybody tells me precisely what they think of me and think about what I'm saying. So it's, it's a raucous time. But this particular lady, she came into the, she came into the, uh, the drop-in and um, I knew her a little bit because she'd been working with us in job club to try and get a job, but she was also trying to get out of debt. And you talked about the miraculous earlier. I love, who loves the miraculous? Come on, let's have some miraculous. Do you know that? And uh, she came in and she said, these stairs are so steep I can hardly manage. Uh, anyway, we had a meal because I always eat before anything specific because that's very important to me. And we, we'd eaten. And uh, she was sitting a few chairs down and she was going like that. She was rubbing her leg and that. So I thought, oh, 
it's time to pray, isn't it? Time to pray for her. So I went up to this lady and I said, um, is your leg hurting? Because I work on a word of knowledge basis. You see. So she's going, all like this. Is it, is it your leg that's hurting? And she said, oh, how did you know? I said, no, I just saw you. <laughs> oh, glory to God. No, I just said, I saw you rubbing your leg. It must be hurting. She said, oh, my leg. And um, I said, why don't we pray for it and get it healed? And she said, I'm sorry? I said, yeah, why don't we give it a go, pray for it. I'll say a real good one. We'll lay hands on it and you'll get healed. It's as simple as that. That's how the formula works. And she said, oh. So I said, but I don't know you very well and you don't know me very well. And if my wife thinks I'm going to go around laying my hands on women's legs. <laughs> so I said, one of the things we do, I said, oh, it's all a bit mystical and probably you don't understand it. And to be frank, I don't understand it either. either. But we're, we're going to lay our hand on your leg and we're going to say a very, very important prayer and then you're going to get healed. And she went... <laughs> so I said, but first of all, can we have permission? I'm going to get a lady from over there to put her hand on your leg. Can we have permission to, um, to, to, to touch your leg with a hand? And she went... Well, all right. And you could see this little bubble in her head, as long as you stay away, mate, you know. <laughs> so, anyway, this lady came up and I said, you're going to lay your hand on her leg, I'm going to pray, she's going to get healed, and that's all we need to do. So, the, so this lady went, oh, okay then. So, she went kind of like that. And she went to the uncomfortable place, she went beyond her comfort zone, and she's got her hand on this lady's leg. And I said... Jesus, could you sort it out? Amen. I'm a great believer in long prayers. And um, she said, is that it? I said, when you say amen, as far as I'm concerned, it's over. So um, anyway, we were going up to the, uh, the volunteer centre in Sutton High Street, which is a long walk uphill. And uh, so there's a crowd of us going up there to listen to how we can uh, be volunteers. And uh, she walked up Sutton High Street like this. <laughs> and, and I was walking behind her thinking, engage yourself in another conversation and just ignore the woman, you know. So she was going, oh. And she hobbled up Sutton High Street. We sat for 20 minutes in one of the dullest presentations I've ever heard. We came back out again and she started walking down Sutton High Street and she was going, oh, 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 oh. As we got to the office door, she turned and she said to me, do you think there's something odd happening around here? And I said, I don't know, you tell me. She said, my leg. <laughs> she said, doesn't appear to be hurting like it usually does. I said, well, how's it usually? She said, it's been hurting for years. She said, but I don't know. She said, but those steep stairs are very steep. And she said, I'm not going up there because I don't want to test it. <laughs> so she didn't want to test her leg. And she said, I don't know, it's something, oh, this, is it prayer, do you think, that does it? So I said, yeah. Anyway, we parted company. I didn't see her for two weeks. She came back in for a drop-in meal a couple of weeks later, sprinted up the staircase, as she doesn't usually, and she sat down and she had something to say. And you know when you're sort of saying, yeah, you know, because 
Have you ever prayed when you don't actually believe it yourself? You know? You're the most shocked person in the building. You know? and, it's sort of, and then you're going like this. I don't even believe, Lord. I don't even believe, but I'm going to pray anyway. So, you know, sometimes, even when you don't even believe, pray anyway. And so, um, I'm like this. And she was leaving the building two weeks later, and she turned to me and she said, my leg, and I'm going like this, oh, you know. She said, I haven't had any trouble with it for the last two weeks. She said, and that night, after that prayer, malarkey, she said, I went to bed, I have never, ever slept like it, because it's my leg that keeps me awake at night. And she said, I've slept, God is good, isn't it? Isn't God good? Praise God for Jesus. I'm completely off message. I'll try and get back on message. But praise God for Jesus because if we give him the glory, see, I'm nothing special. I'm just an ordinary bloke. Ups and downs, doubts, uncertainties, belief, unbelief. Half the time I don't know what's going on myself. Do you know? But we give God the glory. We give him the praise in and through all things. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon after a fierce storm came up, high waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water and Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're drowning? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silent, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves, they obey him. The disciples were in deep trouble. They were in the middle of a rough storm in open water. There wasn't any, this wasn't any old storm. Matthew calls it a seismos. My note says seismos. The Greek word for earthquake. Their fishing boat was being widely, wildly tossed about in the sea. The enormous waves were crashing all around them. Water was filling up the boat. They were trapped in a storm that looked like it would sink them. They were running out of time. They didn't know what to do. They were terrified. They could see no way out of this situation other than death. You can hear the panic in their voices as they finally found Jesus asleep, woke him and said, don't you know that we are going to drown? Cap would say that this is a vivid picture of panic and anxiety, fear and hopelessness that comes from being trapped in this storm of poverty. Trapped in a storm of debt, relentless wave after wave, bills, demands. I mean, I've been into people's houses where um, I have seen the, uh, the, the black bin liner full of unopened letters. The first time I ever went out as a cat befriender, I went to somebody's house, uh, with yet another boss who was a female. Why are women so caring, aren't they? 
just to, you know, they're just, it's just wonderful. Praise God for women. Do you know? And uh, I went to this house, went through the doors, a lovely house, well kept, etc., etc. A guy called David and his wife Victoria, yes, it's true, they were David and Victoria. We did, rename, we did nickname them the Beckhams. And uh, went into his house, I thought, what I'll do is I'll just take my jacket off, relax, he made me a beautiful cup of tea. As I was sitting there relaxing and he was starting to tell me his story, I thought, it was, uh, I think it was February, he said, I thought to myself, it's a bit chilly in here. And I'd noticed that he'd got a very thick, heavy jumper on. It's a bit chilly in here, like that. But you don't want to suddenly go rushing for the coat again. Button it up, right up, so put the scarf around it in. And uh, he hadn't got enough money to have the heating on. He had a wife and two children. They were at school, so they could, they could get help with their school meals. But they had no food in the house to speak of, a cup of tea. And, they ha and the house was freezing. In fact, at one point, he said, do you want me to warm the house up a little bit? And I said, well, you know. You know. And he opened the French doors. He said, I think it's warmer out there than it is in here. So he opened the French doors. And believe you me, we were, I actually edged towards the French doors, you know, because it was warmer there. Was it his fault that he found himself in massive debt? One little slip, one little mistake. He was an electrical engineer, self-employed. That particular year, he'd forgotten to um, sort out his public liability insurance and his private insurance. He was on top of a scaffold tower. The scaffold tower had outriggers, and he was up there mending something. A young apprentice downstairs, down below, on, a, on this building site, was having tuition on a forklift. He caught the scaffold tower. David fell off, landed on the outrigger, and broke his back. At that time, he had a, a lovely home, beautiful house, uh, wife and children settled. Uh, but he, the bills started coming in, and he couldn't work and the bills kept coming. He sold one house, he sold the second house, he sold the third house until he ended up in, um, in this accommodation in Sutton. Wasn't his fault, massive debt. Nothing he could do about it. He eventually got fixed up, but he was, uh, he was filling in his job applications and the thing was, while he was filling these applications in, he was being very honest with what he was saying. He tells me that he filled in and sent away over 500 job applications. I asked him how many interviews he had. How many do you think he had? He got retrained eventually and he went to various night schools, managed to get himself retrained, still couldn't get a job, still couldn't get a job. The debts were piling up, but Cat came in and helped him. We eventually managed to get him debt free. He started paying off his debt. We managed to get him debt-free. He got through evening class. He then became an adult education teacher on IT as he retrained a different skill. He came to see me about a year later and he said how much he believed that Cap and God had helped him get out of this mire of debt. Do you know what he did? He started giving 
uh, with the two children, he started giving the children's clothes. He started giving the children's toys. He, he said, I, I said, in the end, he, he couldn't be generous enough. He just wanted to start giving back, giving back, giving back, because he felt such relief that God had helped him out of his, in his time of real trouble. He was trapped in a storm of debt. No one will listen to you. You've tried everything, even not eating to pay the bills. I've been in houses where there ain't no food. There ain't no food. I've been in houses. I remember going to a house once. Do you mind me telling these stories? Sort of ladle it on. You know, I went to a house once on the door. Before the door opened, I went, oh, I don't want to go in there. I don't want to go in there. He opened the door and I went, oh, right, I'm going in, I'm going in. Uh, I walked down the passageway like this because he just had it from floor to ceiling piled high. I got into his sitting room and there was a, uh, there was a chair you could sit on but it was, one that, it was a chair that you sat on newspapers on top of the chair and, there was, uh, and his daily meal was uh, boiled eggs because it was simple if you could find the, the, the little gas ring and um, I, I asked him a question. I said, when, when was the last time you, drew your, you, you pulled your curtains back? He said, well, when I moved in, I pulled the curtains. So you've not moved them since? He said, no, I just pulled the curtains. He had the curtains pulled for about seven years. Hadn't opened them again. Trapped. He was trapped. Some people are trapped in a storm of unemployment. Every rejection letter adds to the feeling of worthlessness. I run a job club. We decided to run a job club. As we were running this job club, um, which was a new venture we tried, because me, I, I was moving in massive revelation and deep understanding. I thought, they haven't got much money. Oh, maybe they could get a job. See, that's how deep I am. I'm as deep as a puddle, as my daughter Jo would say. So we started a job club. And I remember one, the, one particular job club one day, we were just about to start it. We were all very nervous. Once again, we were going to the unsafe place. We were all standing up, upstairs in the top room going, I wonder if anybody will turn up. Will anybody turn up? Are we going to look stupid? Are we going to look foolish? It's going to be terrible. Oh, dear, nobody's going to turn up. Because I like to move in maximum faith. <laughs> so, anyway... Um, one or two people dripped in and we'd got lots of food prepared and it was going to be fantastic. We have a coffee shop below uh, in our main church building and there was, a young, there was a man there, a young man, sitting there like this. And he'd, walk, he'd picked up a leaflet and he walked to our coffee shop and he was looking at the leaflet and he was saying to himself... And he was, he'd suffered from some, uh, some from mental health issues, some sickness and... He was literally like this, reading the leaflet. No, I don't think I can make it. He got up to walk out of the coffee shop and, got, and go home. One of my friends, who has nothing to do with Job Club but works in the church office above, he came into the coffee shop at that moment and he said, I don't know why I did it, he said, I just shouted in the middle of the coffee shop, if you're supposed to be in the Job Club, get yourself upstairs now. And this guy went, oh, so... <laughs> He finished, went up the staircase and he found himself in the, the door opened and he stood there like that. And I said, you're right. 
He said, no, I'm not all right. I said, well, look, come on in, have a cup of tea, make yourself comfortable. I'm making no demands. I won't point to you, I won't highlight you, I won't embarrass you. Obviously, they were complete lies because I did all that eventually. But anyway, he, <laughs> he, he came in and he sat there and he said, I will come in under one condition and one condition only. I said, what is your condition? He said, my condition is, I don't want a job. <laughs> so I said, fine, yeah, help, come on in. Come on in, brother. He doesn't want a job. I said, why don't you want a job? He said, I can't cope. You know when somebody says they can't cope and you just want to just hug them. Usually they fight me off, but I love, to, I love to hug people. He said, I can't cope. Don't give me the pressure of having to have a job. But can I just re-engage with people? See, when you run your, when you run your cap centre and when you've got your befrienders and when you're going out to people in the community, you are a lifeline. You're that person who's drawing them from their loneliness, from their seclusion, from their isolation. You are the person that's making the difference. You are the person that's the person of hope. God's ambassador. Poverty and debt. Most of the effects are visible, but so much more of the effect is invisible. It can't be seen. Same as Kylie, we saw just now. Uh, she was being destroyed from the inside out. And, it, and you can see the effects. Perhaps people are not eating well, losing weight. They're, they're isolated, they're lonely. But what's going on in here? 75% of cat clients sought medical help on account of anxiety, depression or stress. 38% which uh, in that cap year was 4,867 people considered suicide. They're crying out for help. You and I have a responsibility within our community, and I just, Steve, I really sort of welcome, I can hear the heart of this place to reach out and make a difference in the community. Did you know what, it, what overshadows you casts your shadow? Did you know that? What overshadows you casts your shadow? Do you know, to be a difference within your community is like lifting somebody out of where they're at. You ever been in a room where somebody comes in and you go, oh, yeah, they come. You know, they come in the room like this. You know, they're miserable, they're upset, fed up and that. And you, you, you're sitting there and you think, I'd rather be anywhere other than here right now in the room with that person. Here comes the bad mood. Here comes the bad attitude. Here comes the irritated one. All these things. They're overshadowed some, sometimes with anger, bitterness and all sorts of things. But we as Christians, through Christ Jesus, we're overshadowed by the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells over us and in us and through us. So the shadow that you cast is very much the shadow of hope, is the shadow of love, is the shadow of comfort. You cast a, a shadow that you can work in, a workable space. You change the atmosphere. 
Whenever a befriender goes into somebody's house for the first time ever, they change the atmosphere. As the door opens and you walk in, suddenly hope has entered the building. Hope has come in. And people need hope. Without hope, we're lost, aren't we? Proverbs says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all those who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Speak to the storm. You and I can speak to the storm and say, Be still in Jesus' name. There are over 300 cap centres in the UK. Teams of befrienders. You've got uh, teams of befrienders here. You've got some befrienders, John. And uh, you give love and you give support. Behind that is an award-winning debt counselling team up in Bradford. Has anybody, have you been up to Bradford? Lots of times, yeah? Fantastic up there, isn't it? The curries, honestly. If you want a curry, go to Bradford. It's the curry centre of the world, you know. You know, yeah, it's a... Pro- Dare I say, it's a proper... Well, I have to be careful what I say here. I'm going to be careful what I say here, dear. But the, fir- <laughs> the first evening I went there, superb curry, augmented with a lovely drop of lager. Proper church. Felt at home there. Really did. Cap takes all the demand letters and chaos away and makes sense of it all, creating a budget that will give people a way out of their debts and into a future filled with hope. A cap budget means rent and bills are paid on time. A food allowance means clients can buy proper meals for their family. It means electricity is being paid so so that the house uh, can be heated in the winter. Last night when we were in Camberley, uh, we we had one of these fundraisers in Camberley. It's about 80 people there. I think it's about 35,000 was raised in this fundraiser. Praise God, that's wonderful, isn't it? Fantastic. And um, the lady who was giving the talk there said, sorry, no, it was a man called Simon. He was giving the talk there and he said, do you know what happened? He said, we managed to get over a long period of time somebody out of debt. But when you do debt budgeting, one of the things that you get with debt budgeting is there, uh, there is an allowance made within that which you can save. And if you actually say to people, when we do your budget, it allows you to save some money, they go, what? Save money? never saved money in my life. We say, well, you save money for the rainy day. Your refrigerator blows up, just like ours, dear. And, um, uh, and uh, where's the extra cash to pay for that disaster that you hadn't expected or the tyre blows out on your car or something like that? He managed to get debt-free and found that he got £560, or that sort of figure around that area, I think, Marilyn, and they said, here's your savings from your budget, you're debt-free and you've got some money. And he said, I just want to give it back to Cap. Sacrificial giving. Praise God. How are we doing? Are you all okay? Haven't killed you all off, have I? Be still and know that he is God. Calming the storm, giving people that sense, that peace of mind. We've seen the DVD. I just want to pause for a moment as we just bow our heads and ask God what we believe, what we feel we should do at this time to support and to help and to sponsor Cat. Let's just bow our heads.
Father, you cause us to be, you want us to be a generous church. You want us to be generous people. Father, you, you, you're reaching out into your community. You love those people out there as much as you love these people in here. Father God, give us that ability to reach out and touch. Father God, help us to worship you, first of all, with our finances, and then secondly, bless people with what we have. As we just consider before you what we ought to do. In Christ Jesus, amen. It says if you give five pounds a month to answer someone like Kylie's cry for help, it will make a big difference. If you give 15 pounds a month, that will make a difference to three people. Some people can give 50 pounds a month and that might only apply to one person here or nobody here. And that will make an awful big difference. And actually you'll be in the... Uh, John Kirkby himself, the founder of CAP, will actually be corresponding with you on a regular basis. CAP is in a mission to have a thousand centres in the UK by 2021. A thousand centres. There are places in the United Kingdom that we cannot reach. Uh, somebody will ring that CAP number, but there won't be a CAP office or a CAP centre or a debt relief centre. And so we say, I'm sorry, we cannot help you. But CAP wants to help everybody throughout the UK, which means increasing the DAP centres. I've already said we do job clubs. There are other things that we do. We do release groups. It's when people can get set free from the things that they've found so difficult within their lives. And also we do a thing called life skills. When I first got married, I had a whole set of life skills. I couldn't cook. I couldn't, I couldn't do DIY. I couldn't do anything. I could hardly think for myself. And I actually remember saying to Marilyn one day, I'm not sure how to fill a check-in. And Marilyn, my wife, looked at me and she went, I think it was the first time she had a serious look at me after we'd got married and thought, what have I done here? Who's your man? Who is your man? You know, she probably, she's probably spent hours and hours on her knees trying to get the whole mess sorted out. We help people with their life skills. At the back there, if you choose to give, if you would like to give, and there is no pressure, there are some, uh, some life-changer forms. And you can be a life-changer, which means you can either give a regular donation or you can give a one-off donation. But uh, just as I didn't feel pressurised when you came round with your collection, I don't want anybody here to feel pressurised because it's the generosity comes from the heart and what you feel is the right thing to do. But if anyone else would like to talk to me more fully, further at the back, I should be stood up there at the back, uh, the cap man, and uh, more than willing to, uh, to give you any further information that you would like. But very briefly, I'd like to invite... Um, I'd like to invite my wife Marilyn to come up. Let's all jeer. No, let's give her a round of applause. Thanks very much. See what I've had to put up with? Uh, nearly 40 years, actually. Um, one of the prayers I prayed about five years ago I was working in a primary school at the time and 
seemed to be on this roundabout where you kept doing the things that are on the top of the pile, you know, this is what you've got to do, prepare this, sort this out. And every time the pile went down, more things were put on top. And um, schools, you, well, you hear on the television all the time, but they are going through horrendous times of pressure, as so many other places in the workplace. So five years ago, Tone and I were doing things completely different. We were both involved very much in professional activities and, and in our church in, in leadership role. But I remember just saying to the Lord, please help me to spend more time in the Word because I just, I just hardly existed. You know, you're preparing, you're doing whatever for work. Um, and I have to say, when I prayed that, the last few years, and I've had more time now, so basically I help look after the grandkids. I was um, a carer for my mum up until a year ago when she died. Um, but I've asked the Lord to make the word come to life, that I would have a passion. I'm a drama teacher. I love Shakespeare. I have to say that. I'm looking at that. I could tell you so many books that are so great. I love books for five-year-olds. Um, I love literature, but I really wanted to get a passion for the Bible. I really wanted to get a passion for God's word. So I just want to share something that he's just shown me. And actually, if you're... If you've been around a bit, um, I was just sharing about how we used to go to the Dales and the Downs and heard Terry Virgo years ago, so it's great to be here. But this is a word for you if you, you've been around a bit and seen a bit and seen God moving, okay? Elijah. Do you know, Tony's just been talking about depression, anxiety. Bless him, he had to go and tell people that there was going to be a drought in the land. He wasn't the most popular person. So he told the people there was going to be a drought, no rain. And he was so up for it and calm and full of faith that he ran. He ran and it says, he ran and he hid. And God said to him, look, I understand how you're feeling. Go to this place. And he went to this place called Kidron. And it says that God, in his love, sent a raven. He sent ravens to feed Elijah. He drank from the brook, there was still water there. And then the ravens came and fed him meat and bread in the, in the morning and in the evening. And then it says after that, the, the, the brook started to dry up, so then he went somewhere else. And you know the story, he ended up with this widow and her son. And as he arrived, this widow is just gathering sticks. She's just going to make a fire. And she's going to bake her last bit of flour and the last bit of oil. And she's going to eat that with her son. And then that was it. And she thought they would die. So this woman believes she's going to die. And then this other helpful guy turns up and says, could you give me a meal? So then she's thinking, I've got one meal left for my son and myself, but this guy's turned up and said to me, everything will be all right, just give the flower to me. But she does it. And we know the story how he said, it's not going to run out for you. Your food is not going to run out. All the time there's a drought in the land, you're going to have enough water and you're going to have enough oil and you're going to have enough flour. And it happened. 
And then we know a few, uh, a while later, the boy fell ill, and it says there that he died. And Elijah took him upstairs into an upper room and lay on him, and it says three times he prayed, and the boy came back to life. Do you know, everything has a purpose. Days, times, all has a significance. And you just think about the stories when Jesus went into the upper room and lay on the outstretched girl and she, she came back to life. The more you read the word, the more you realize there are so many pathways in the Old Testament that are just of pictures of Jesus and what he came. But you know, after that, it talks about how he went back and we know that he gathered the people together at Mount Carmel. And at that time, Jezebel was married to Ahab and she was not a very nice person, encouraged everyone to worship Baal. And it says that she, she had persecuted prophets and had them killed, so much so that another guy, Obadiah, had hidden away a hundred prophets and was feeding them. But you know, Ahab, the king, he was told to get all the people together and there was gonna be a contest between the worshipers of Baal, and there are about 450 of them, and then Elijah. And you just think, here's a man that is stepping out against all, all the wiles of the enemy. So he's come through famine. He's come through a death situation where he's prayed for, to, for the boy to receive his life. Then he's going to a situation where he's going to face the enemy. And they were horrendous. And they were praying to Baal, if you remember the story. And they wanted to bring fire on this altar, the altar to Baal. And it says that these prophets, 450 of them, now you know, I've had classes of kids and I've had 10 year olds who've self-harmed. You may know of someone that's self-harmed. That's not a new thing. These people were doing it deliberately. The prophets were self-harming to try and get Baal to bring a light and to fire to the sacrifice. And it didn't happen because Baal is not a living God. And then it talks about how Elijah made it harder and harder. As you know, he put stones in. He put water three times, all the jugs of water. And then he prayed and God straight away brought the biggest fire. Do you know, Elijah saw a lot, didn't he? But do you know, when that happened and then he just said all the people then fell on their knees and worshipped God. And it says they took these people who tried to get the people to worship Baal and they took them into a valley and got rid of them. Elijah saw all these things happening and Jezebel, this woman, talked about the woman bosses, but this woman just said a threatening word and said, tomorrow you're going to be dead. And you know, I don't know about you, if you've ever been bullied in your workplace. She was a bully. She had got the people to worship Baal. She had tried to get her way, a manipulative woman. Uh, and she'd manipulated her own husband. And it says that Elijah, who'd seen all of this, ran for his life. And he'd seen famine. He'd seen death. He'd, and, and he was so depressed that he ran for his life and he hid. And this is the bit that really, mm, 
Do you know, sometimes you might have been through such a lot in your life and seen so many things and God moving in miraculous, powerful ways. But, you know, sometimes as you get older, sometimes life may not have always turned out in the way that you wanted it or hoped, and things happen. We've been through some grief. It's natural to lose a parent. My mum was 93 this time last year when she died. And that was hard, and it is hard, but it is a natural process. Tone and I have both lost siblings. My brother, sudden death. His sister, after horrendous illness. You know, life throws things at you because we live in this world. Thank you, Jesus, that you are with us in that, and you've promised that. But what I just wanted to say in here, long term, but I just wanted you to really get hold of this, because I've just been feasting on this, and it's just lifted me. When Elijah was seeing God working in miraculous ways, he saw God's provision. He saw his provision miraculously. He had birds delivering his, his uh, takeaway. <laughs> you know, you don't often get a raven turning up. Um, but you know what happened when Elijah cried out to God and said, I wish I was dead. That's how badly depressed he was. Who turned up? It talks here about, and when Elijah prayed to die, he says he then fell asleep. All at once, an angel of the Lord touched him. And often when it talks about an angel of the Lord, it's usually Jesus who comes. And it talks about, this is in um, 1 Kings from 17. I just encourage you to read it. It says, all at once an angel touched him and said, wake up, eat. And there, on hot coals, was, uh, was bread being freshly baked and a jar of water. And it just talks about how the angel ministered and touched him again and fed him and comforted him. And I just want to say to you, a word from Jesus, he's right here with us. And at the lowest moment, when we reach out and just say, Lord, I, I just need you, he is there right away. Just like, and the coals, you know, remind you of the story when the, the fishermen had been out all night after Jesus had resurrected and they'd been out all night, and they'd, their master had left them, and they were depressed. Um, it just says that they didn't catch anything, and suddenly Jesus tells them where to fish, to catch. Um, and it says, and then they, they approached him, and he had breakfast for them, and there were the coals of fire. Um, so I just want to encourage you today in how Jesus really cares. And it just then says about on that food that Jesus gave him, the angel of the Lord, however you want to see that. It just said he had the strength for 40 days and nights to go out, and he didn't eat for that time, because this, when we have the bread of heaven, when we have Jesus, it sustains us more than anything else can. So hopefully that will encourage us to pray. Amen. We'd love to pray. Thank you so much. There is the God who meets us in the darkness, who's with us in the storms. Sometimes he calms them, sometimes he goes through them with us. An amazing God. And that's part of what CAP is, is here for as well. We'd love to pray for John, for our CAP Centre, for our befrienders 
as well, to be honest. Um, I'm just conscious of the time and blessing our kids' workers. Parents, if you can go and get your children back from kids' work, that would be lovely jubbly just while we're praying. Um, John and who's a befriender here? Come up the front if you're a befriender.